0: Tuttle, her husband and four children diligently worked towards the family's ambitions. The American dream that each of us most certainly relates. Exhausted from home duties and moving her home to an area that asthmatic patients place at the bottom of the list of desirable neighborhoods, Anita found her life in physical turmoil. Her childhood allergies have developed into serious episodes of asthmatic attacks. One evening, her husband came home, to find Anita the color of blue. She was rushed to the emergency room. For a day and a half, doctors and nurses tried to help Anita, but at one point, her heart stopped and she died. The good side of this story is Anita came back to life and is with us to this day. The greatest part of this story is her realization that relationship with each of her family members and society at large is the most important part of life. Sharing time face-to-face trumps all the social media that is provided by computers, iPads, and iPhones. Senior Wisdom is ready to share another golden nugget. So adjust the volume on your laptop or handheld device and soak into the conversation with Anita Wald-Tuttle. Anita, I want to thank you for inviting me into your home today. You have a very special experience and story you'd like to share with everybody, you were telling me you're from Iowa. You went to Iowa State a while back. Is that right? Correct.
1: I, um, I was born in Chicago, but at the age of five, my family moved to the middle of Iowa. And um, as such, I grew up most of my life in Ames, Iowa. It was a, it was a great place to grow up and uh, lots of good experiences there.
0: Would that be the city life or would that be more of a rural life? It's
1: more, more like this area, uh, more rural we did have Iowa State University, which was known as Iowa State College of Agriculture and Mechanic Arts at that time. It was one of the earliest land-grant colleges. And uh, as such, it, it was kind of uh, small time. But as it got bigger and bigger, it became a university and all of the departments that I had known, like the Department of Home Economics became the College of Home Economics, or whatever anyway, big time. So it, it does a lot of research now, and every once in a while you'll find some research that's coming out of Iowa State University.
0: So what was your specialty? Where, was your, where were your interests at that time?
1: Well, I was an art major. I loved art in every way, shape, and form. But my father was a professor at the college, and professors didn't earn very much at that time. So I couldn't afford to go to Iowa, Iowa University, which was the place that had the fine arts. But Hidden away in the College of, Ag- of Home Economics was a department known as Applied Art, which was art applied to homemaking. And so I became a home economics major, and my major uh, interest was in applied art. So we did things like uh, designing draperies, uh, weaving placemats, uh, designing small pieces of furniture and things like this that, that you would use in a home setting and that was my background, and that's what I got my degree in. But uh, I found out after I graduated that either all of the graduates were planning on getting married right away, and I had no prospects whatsoever at that time, or they went to design linoleum or rubber tile for Goodyear, or they designed cards uh, down in um, oh, Hallmark Cards. So I sent off a resume with pictures to Hallmark Cards and got the most beautifully worded letter of rejection I've ever had, saying that my work was lovely, but it was three-dimensional and that Hallmark Cards really used two-dimensional things at that time. Maybe sometime in the future they would think about three-dimensional things. So I had no prospects.
0: Well, I, I can't believe it to get a rejection letter that felt so darn good. <laughs> I wish they all felt like that. Well, at some point down the road, you had a uh, an experience that is unforgettable. And that's really what we're sharing today because a lot of wisdom came from that, some golden nuggets. So what happened?
1: Well, down the road, after I found I couldn't get a job in applied art, I signed in and became an occupational therapist. So I added my medical background to my art background and subsequently worked in several departments. In fact, set up several occupational therapy departments in places where my husband then had his work. And he was a physical therapist. And we subsequently had four children. And um, we had sort of grown out of the place where we were in Madison, Wisconsin. Had gone to a small town in Manitowoc, Wisconsin. And I was working in a department there and my husband decided he needed to go back to school to get an advanced degree, to get a master's degree. So we moved to Minneapolis, uh, a place where I knew absolutely nobody, with four children, three of them in different schools. Uh, No friends, I moved into a neighborhood that was about three blocks away from a Neutrina feed mill. I walked into a house that had been holed up all summer with um, mold and dust and so forth, and walked in through a yard full of uh, chest high ragweed. And these were all things that I had been allergic to as a teenager. So I became very, very allergic. I spent one miserable year there, twice being in the hospital to uh, take care of severe asthma. And uh, after he got his master's degree and I typed up his thesis in all of this, uh, there was a lot of stress. And we ended up getting a job in Madison, Wisconsin. I had to continue having allergy shots there. But I continued to have um, very serious asthma. And uh, one time, I, uh, my husband had a job that took him out of town, and he came back from one of these trips, and he said I was literally blue. I had so little oxygen that I was getting. And he took me over to the hospital, and they put me on an IPPB machine, which is a positive pressure machine, with medication, not knowing how much medication I already had in my body. And I went into tachycardia. They gave me a shot, knocked me out. And um, I don't remember anything from that time on. For, uh, that was a Friday night. On Saturday afternoon, they say that I died. My heart stopped. And uh, they did the, the alerts, you know, and put the paddles on and brought me back.
0: How long were you out? Did they make an estimate?
1: Well, it was a Friday night and the the heart stoppage started on Saturday afternoon. So, during all that time I was sedated and um, completely unaware of what was happening and didn't come to until the following Tuesday. So, all of that time I was being carefully monitored and uh, they called it status asthmaticus, and uh, my heart just couldn't keep up with my lungs, who were trying to breathe, and the um, heart gave out. So it was called congestive heart failure. But they brought me back on the following Tuesday, and um, it was a it was a, kind of a, a rebirth, you might almost say, when I woke up from it, I found my parents had flown in from Iowa because supposedly I was dying and they wanted to be there. And I came too and I was back. And the following Friday, I walked out of the hospital.
0: That's really amazing. Do you remember uh, the feeling days before, you know, your feeling, just your state of mind days before this whole thing happened? And then, of course, the feeling when you woke up with a family all around you.
1: Yes, because uh, as I say that there was a lot of stress when I went in to the hospital and the uh it was it was I, I was kind of a routine case for them. They had seen me before. And so when I came in why it was just kind of routine to give me this positive pressure and medication and going into tachycardia. I had experienced that before. And so I knew enough to have my bedmate call a nurse and have her come in. And after the shot, I don't remember anything. But on that Tuesday when I woke up, I'm in an insulated, refrigerated igloo, like, with IVs in both arms and frost on the pillow and almost frost on my eyebrows. It was that chilly. They had cooled my body down. And... The, this little porthole in the igloo opened up, and there's my mother's face. And uh, she says, you know, how are you doing, honey? And I said, I'm fine, I'm fine. Uh, how are you? And then my father's face appeared. Well, good to see you. And, well, yeah, what's going on? And half an hour later, they took the igloo off, and I got kind of a partial story of what happened. But my feeling was one of very... A lot of peace, a lot of um, well-being. I wasn't having the heavy breathing. I wasn't having the anxiety. And it was kind of like a rebirth. But the real realization came to me when, after I, after I went home, and I was supposed to be on bed rest for a couple of days, and my children hadn't seen me now since I had left for the hospital. They hadn't been allowed in the hospital room. So they were allowed to come in and see me one at a time. How old were they at that time? Um, My son, I think, was about five. uh, And the girls were 10, 12, and 14. So they were teen, preteen. And they were kind of tentative, like who is this creature, what happened to her? We don't know, we haven't seen her for a week. Or almost a week, well, it was a, it was a week. And my feeling was that I was, I was getting to see them and know them really for the first time. Uh, they were individual little people, whereas before it was a family I had to feed, I had to clothe, I had to make sure they got to school, etc. So it was kind of a group effort. But when I got to see them on an individual basis and talk to them, it was like I was getting to know them for the first time. And uh, my overall feeling was how absolutely lucky I am to have been able to have had this experience, uh, to come back, and to be a part of their life. And uh, well, as you can see, I, I tear up when I think about it. Because, um to think of these four having been being without a mother, as so often happens in cases like that, and I was allowed the privilege of coming back and being a part of their lives,
0: so they must have had quite a response to having your undivided one hundred percent attention on them as an individually, I mean. I know what it's like in a household where you have a lot of different things going on. It it's, becomes a management chore rather yeah. than, uh, you know, really relating to one another.
1: Exactly. And, and this was a chance to say, oh, what a wonderful group of children I have. And how wonderful. I'm going to have the opportunity to help them grow up, see them grow up. And that's been the case, Steve. They all are very much individuals. They all have chosen their own paths. And I have been, some, on some of them, tangential because of distance. But in most cases, uh, I've been a part of their lives.
0: And um, it's been wonderful. Well, the golden nugget on this one clearly is appreciating your family and really yeah. being a part of their life, really uh, relating eyeball to eyeball, arm in arm, all of that. Now, applying that wisdom to today, I mean, we live in a world that's uh, very quick. Mm. Multitasking is a commonplace type of thing. Uh, families here and there, uh, transient lifestyles, we're in this city one year and then another another year. How do we apply this to today? I think it translates into
1: being aware of people as people, um, in your everyday relationships, when you're with somebody, really being with them, not just casual drop by. Oh hi, how are you? Fine, great. Uh, have a good day. Um, there, there's a depth that we need to establish, and I feel that with all of the mobile devices, the iPads, the i, I this, the iPhones that we have become disengaged from people as people and that we're, we're talking on machines. I know of kids in classes or things. They're, they're talking via their iPads and yet they're within eye distance of each other. And they're not, they're not really relating. They're relating through this machine and they lose the nuances that are possible. The eyes, the smile, the facial, the body, the body language. You can't read body language on an iPad. And uh, we need to get back to the one-on-one sort of things. In case something awful happens and we lose all of these electronic connections, we're going to be in a desert and we aren't going to know how to relate to people one-on-one because we will have lost that personal connection by being involved with our machines, which though they are, they're fascinating, but they become too fascinating and I can get lost on my, on my uh, emails and going back and forth. And finally I say, forget it. And I pick up the phone and talk to them one-on-one. And if not that, then I try to set up a personal connection with them and, Oh, let's go have a cup of tea you know, and talk one-on-one. And I think we need to have more of the personal connection. Otherwise, we become too mechanical and we lose that
0: humanity. That's a wonderful message. I want to thank you for sharing that today on, on Senior Wisdom. Thanks a bunch. Thank you for allowing me to talk.